Hello and welcome to The Tax Files. My name is Ali Kazmi and I'm delighted to be joined today by my co-host, Ekta. Good morning, Ekta. How are you? Good morning, Ali. I'm well, thank you. And listeners, welcome again to The Tax Files, a monthly audio podcast where alongside an esteemed guest, we will be discussing the most pertinent topics for tax and accounting professionals, while also getting to know some key members of the tax industry a little bit better. Ali, how have you been? Thanks for asking. So this is our first uh, uh, podcast after uh, Christmas, and it was a quiet Christmas, uh, but I'm in trouble with my personal trainer. Oh, God. <laughs> how we many have regressed. Let's be honest, Ali. How many mince pies did we have <laughs> over the over the festive season? Let's talk about confessionals now. <laughs> I'm saluting them. Every evening, there's a mince pie with custard to uh, add to it. I think that's just being economical, to be honest, and you're being eco-friendly. You're not wasting anything. I think you're you're doing doing the right thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And what about yourself? So, how is uh, uh, the great big motherhood treating you? Oh gosh, it's it's amazing. I mean, what are we six weeks in now? Every single day is different. Christmas was amazing, but it's literally like a game of pass the parcel in the Kumar household. Um, everybody wants to hold the baby. They want to literally rock the baby. He hasn't been put down for like three or four days over Christmas Eve, all the way through to Boxing Day, which uh, which wreaked havoc on Mum and Dad's schedule when he came back because he didn't want to get put down. Lucky boy. So he had about a week of just cuddles and being lifted up and not going into the crib for literally I'm not joking about a week and we finally started to get him down life is returning back to normal and I've actually much like you started to get back into the gym routine which uh which is quite nice oh you're looking really good Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a journey, but we're we're getting there. And and to be honest, I think 2024 is all for fitness goals. It's all for getting back on track and and kind of getting into um, getting into the spirit of things. Do it you is. have any Do you have any resolutions for 2024, Ali? Anything that you're yeah. uh... um, exactly just as you were saying, I just sensed that 2024. So much went wrong in 2023, <laughs> at so many levels. Okay. That, you know, I think there's a real desire to make this the year where we really, you know, sort of like uh, turn the corner. I agree. I agree. Positivity onwards and upwards for 2024, for sure. So, guys, we are excited to be recording the 11th episode of The Tax Files, where we are joined by Hardeep Soar, who is currently the head of tax at Starling Bank. You would have heard of Starling Bank because they are one of the UK's fastest growing challenger banks. Hardeep started his career at the HMRC. His trajectory then led him away from the public sector to the realm of industry, spending six years of Grant Thornton before finding his current role at Starling Bank. Excellent. Well, I'm really excited to have Hardeep on board um, and, you know, just really finding out about the whole, he's managed to sort of like uh, do this uh, fun thing where you are at the tax authority, then you become an advisor and then you basically go and join industry. I don't think there's many, many people who have done that. So you will, uh, you know, Hector, you will sort of like find out, dig into his background a bit. Then we will, um, uh, I will cover some of the taxation challenges and discussions that uh, you know he will share his insights on and finally we will have the rapid fire round <laughs> exactly <laughs> my um, favorite absolutely i mean i think that's the one that always uh, uh 
there's some anxiety around it. <laughs> How do you it's... feel about that, Hadi? I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, so thank you, Hector and Ali. It's a real privilege to be invited along today. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it to all parts of the podcast. Well, we're delighted to have you join us, Hardeep. So how's your week been so far? Tell us, what has the first week of 2024 held for you? It's been it's been extremely busy, both personally and professionally. So in, in the office, we've got all the projects that we meant to do before Christmas that we decided we don't have enough time for. So we're picking those back up again now. And, and then from a personal perspective, I've got some building work ongoing. So I'm trying to juggle quite a lot of balls at the moment. So it's very busy. Not taking things by half, I imagine, <laughs> first week of 2024. Well, I'm sure our listeners are going to be really interested to hear about your journey so far. I mean, as Ali had just touched on, you know, you started off uh, on, on the kind of authority side of things, moved into kind of an advisor capacity and have now kind of gone into the industry. I'm sure we're all really dying to know what kicked off your tax journey. What sort of motivated you to enter the industry? I wish I had a really good response for that. Unfortunately, I don't. It was um, I was a, a student looking for a graduate position, and I was interested in in finance and accounting and banking and all sorts. And, and I applied for several graduate schemes, and I landed a role at HMRC as an inspector of taxes. And decided actually this this looks quite interesting. Let's do that. But I never before that intended to go into tax. Um, but having joined HMRC, I kind of was open to the world of taxation and realised actually this is a, a really interesting and rewarding place to be. So I have absolutely no regrets and would encourage us to do the same. And talk me through the process then. So you go through the graduate scheme, you rock up to the HMRC on the first day. Was it what you were expecting to, to kind of get into or, or was it sort of a complete unknown and, and kind of took you by surprise? It was um, it was very different to what I expected. I mean, the, the start of the age profile was much higher than I was used to. So it, we were the HMRC had stopped running graduate schemes for a while by the time I joined. But there was a huge age gap between the new graduates coming in and the existing employees. So I had to overcome that first of all. And then within a few months of joining, they really do throw you in at the deep end. So within six months of joining at HMRC, I was running inquiries and interviews with taxpayers. I mean, they're very much on the small end of the scale. So this is your local builders, taxi drivers, restaurant owners or whatever. Um, but they don't, they don't hold back. They introduce you to that world immediately and throw you in and make you learn on the job. And frankly, I thought that was excellent. I was really pleased I did that. Whereas when I contrast that to professional services, sometimes you're held away from clients for, for several years sometimes before you can meet them. And then you build up this stigma over being nervous around speaking to clients and taxpayers. Whereas in HMRC, you lose that quite early. Yeah kind of throw you straight in at the deep end and and I guess we're absolutely right I think you know the amount of different people that you get to experience and interact with with HMRC I guess gives you that confidence and gives you the ability to to relate to so many different people and and kind of you know really deduce sort of the the way that you're going to approach certain sort of issues and certain technicalities was, was that daunting for you going in as as a graduate was that you know kind of going straight into a deep end you know in the authority, speaking to such a plethora of different individuals, how I guess how did you prepare yourself on a day-to-day -day basis to go into that environment? I think it helped that half of my family are, are well, my family are Punjabi, so half of them said we're not going to speak to you anymore because you're a tax professional, <laughs> <laughs> and the other half said um, please give me some advice to save my tax. <laughs> um, so that that really did help. So I think I had. 
probably more of a grilling from my family than I got from the people I was speaking to. Um, just sorry, were you more shunned or more popular? A, a bit of both. I think it depends on how close they were to me. Oh so, my god. Um, it's hilarious. You either get the question of "Can you help me with the tax advice?" or they look at you super funny, as in, "Hold on, wait. Are you gonna? <laughs> are you about to bust me for something? What's happening?" <laughs> and, and I think uh, naturally, I'm not a very confrontational person. So, when you were speaking to taxpayers, particularly when you're speaking to a smaller business, <clears throat> the owner of the business—that's you know most of their life—and they take so much pride in the business they've created. They spent so much time creating it and building it. That when you then go and challenge their finances and ask them to pay something personally, that's a very difficult thing for them to overcome. So I did see a lot of quite difficult situations where people really exploded and went mental, or started throwing things around the room and things like that. So it was, it was really difficult at times, and you kind of just you learn to sit back and just say nothing and wait for it to pass um, and start again. So I think it 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 really was a good kind of a lot of grounding for for life more generally. Um, but I don't think you can prepare yourself for that sort of a situation. You just have to see how you react when it comes. Yeah, I guess every case is so unique as well, right? The yeah. the approach that you take and, you know, how you handle those things. Like you said, it just sounds like um, you have to tailor it depending on who you're in front of. What about technically at the HMRC? You know, how did you put yourself in a position to deal with the, I guess, from a technical perspective, the variety of issues that were coming across your desk? Was there anything that you sort of, you know, kind of did outside of the, the day-to-day that sort of helped you with those sorts of queries? Or I think the most difficult time at HMRT that I had technically was when I was in large business financial. And um, I initially started off by looking at film avoidance schemes, which was incredibly difficult. And I sort of there was no real secret recipe. It was working as hard as possible to try and decipher what was going on. And when I sort of showed that I have a bit of a knack for this, I got moved into banking and started to look at some, some major bank schemes. And when I say schemes, I mean, much of what they do is tax planning and not necessarily avoidance, but everything's called a, a project from their perspective or a scheme. So a lot of that was challenging the things that they would do. Um, and what I found was that, you know, the bank teams were incredibly talented, very sophisticated. And more often than not, completely right. So, you know, when you think banks are at it, and they're, or they used to be anyway back in the day, there used to be this perception that banks were doing all sorts of things that were quite naughty, but that wasn't always the case. I mean, often what they were doing was finding issues in legislation that didn't quite fit with what they wanted to do commercially, and then trying to find their way through it. Um, so typically it was, it was tax planning more than avoidance, but that doesn't mean there wasn't avoidance, because there was. So I did find that was extremely difficult to get your head around. And there was no real secret recipe other than just to put the hours in and, and try to figure out how the rules work and rely on your policy specialists to, to help you with um, gaps in knowledge and things like that. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head there. I guess it was sort of such a topical topical area to be in at the time that you transitioned into it with banking because the introduction of all the regulatory changes kind of putting a bit more order in place I guess around sort of how things were handled I mean looking back at it now is there any particular moment or anything that you experienced during your time there as you were transitioning into banking that was a standout for you that you felt actually this is this is kind of a one of a time situation there was there was I was working on a, on a project with a very large bank, high-risk corporates program project, which means you basically take all of the open issues and try to project manage them through to closure. Um, and the team that I was working with, it was a, a small but very, very talented team in HMRC. We typically find ourselves up against 
the bank, their advisors, their lawyers, and so on and so forth. But it was more the, the pace at which you were able to get through the issues and get them closed. And I think the bank had got to the point where they realized these things had to be closed down. So they were as much working with us as we were challenging them to try and resolve things. But it was a very honest, straight down the line set of in, uh, meetings whereby if HMRC had the stronger argument, then we would stand behind it and go to litigation if necessary. And if HMRC had a weaker argument, we'd look to close the issue and exit. And it was a, a really pragmatic way of resolving lots of issues at the same time. Then it had to go through a, you know, a whole governance process, um, much of which was actually overseen by Edward Troop, who was a commissioner at the time. So I, I did present a few of these um, issues to Edward and, and get his views on them. That name does sound familiar, doesn't it, Ali? <laughs> Alex Taxfy Lee is what we call him. <laughs> so it's it's 2015. You've gone through this amazing transformation of kind of the banking sector, the introduction of loads of different kind of regulatory rules and sort of, I guess, muddling through what is essentially a changing landscape. You you close the doors on, on the HMRC and you kind of fling open the doors on the practice space of, um, of kind of Grant Thornton. Tell me what sort of motive motivated that journey change? What what kind of, you know, I guess was a motivation for you to go from a very much kind of authority side of, of kind of the HMRC into essentially what is a practice more advisory type environment? Well, I think there were two things. I think firstly, I, I ticked off everything I wanted to do in HMRC. So after large business, I had a small stint of policy and I helped to release bits of legislation for banks. So things like the bank surcharge, for example, I, I helped to write certain parts of that legislation. So once I'd done that, I kind of figured that I'd seen the best of what I thought the investigation board had to offer. I'd seen policy as well. And there wasn't a huge amount more that I really wanted to do in HMRC. And then at that point, the natural thing to do is to leave HMRC and, and join investigations in the private sector. But when I looked at my time at HMRC, particularly investigating banks, I found that part of what I really enjoyed was when you get past the confrontational stage and get onto the whole, we're now going to set find a way to settle this in the right way. And you're almost advising the bank as much as you are investigating and challenging them. And that led me to realize that actually, I think I'd enjoy advisory far more than investigations. So I then scoured the market and spoke to loads of people and looked specifically for a role that was an advisory led role and had no investigations at all whatsoever, which is quite challenging because again, people see your CV and go, you're an investigator, I want to put you into investigations. But to head down the advisory route instead, but I had to find a firm that I felt was a good fit. And so we, we fast forward to where we are now. So 2021 rolls around. Um, you know, the banking space is booming. There's sort of so much going on. And, and you joined Starling, which, you know, has one of the most fast, rapidly growing sort of, I guess, banks from, from kind of a, a footprint perspective. What's that journey been like so far? Yeah, re- really interesting. Yeah, a very challenging changing all the time, which is great. Um, and, and new challenges on a, on a daily basis. Though. So, I mean, I was fortunate that Starling was actually a client of mine while I was at GT. So we, we first started working with Starling probably back in 2016 or 2017. So I, I knew the business well, and I knew the, the finance team very well. So when the head of tax role was advertised, we sat on it for a month and did nothing. So I realized that as a major client of mine, I can't, for something and then change my mind. It has to be actually certain about this before I go for it. So I waited a few weeks and then eventually called the CFO and said, I'd like to put my name in the ring. Um, it went well because obviously I, I got the role. Um, but upon joining, I was their, their first tax company. So I had the responsibility of building out a tax team from there on. 
So it's, it's been a really, really interesting, exciting journey. And I guess, Hardik, now looking back at your entire career, did, did, did you ever envision that this would be the career path that you would go down? Did you start, you know, all those years ago as a graduate, not too many years ago, but all those years ago as a graduate, did you start that journey thinking that this was the, you know, the, the blueprint of where you wanted to end up? Or is it something that you've just sort of moved with over time? A little bit yes and no. Um, I certainly didn't think I'd be sat where I am now. But then on the other side of the token, before ever going into tax, I was very interested in banks and banking more generally. So I don't think it was an accident that HMRC, I ended up leaning towards working with banks. And then I stuck with working with banks ever since. So um, I, th I think that journey of, you know, first investigating, then advising, and now working for a bank has been my life for the last probably 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Bit of a tricky question, but looking back over the years, do you think you would change anything about the history so far? Is there anything that you think actually at the road fork, if I'd gone left instead of right, we, we would have kind of gone gone down a different route or would it all have played out in the same way, do you think? I do wonder that because when I was um, doing my masters before I actually joined HMRC, I did have an offer from HSBC to go to the treasury team. Interesting. And I decided that HMRC was the best bet. Also, I had so much debt at the time as well that I had to find a way of paying all that back. So I decided that the HMRC graduate scheme was, was the better route and, and the more surefire route. But I've always wondered what would have happened if, I, if I'd taken the HSBC treasury role and then built a career in, in banking from the start, how difficult my life would be. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it would have been completely different. Maybe it would have been better. Maybe it would have been worse, you know. One of those things that I guess you, you, you will never know, like you say, but I think interesting that you sort of have still ended up on in the banking space over, over the years that you've sort of been going down this route for. If, if I could ask you for one word to summarise the journey so far, what would that be? Oh, could I use more than one word? Could I say um, always seek the most challenging path? I was going to say, for you, Hardy, we will bend the rules. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I would say always seek the most challenging path. I think whenever... I came through my career when I had a series of options. It was often when I picked the hardest route that often seemed to be the best route to pick. Um, so I would say that that's kind of what I've stuck to doing. And then as a result of that, you haven't rested on your laurels or stuck to the same role for too long. You've had an opportunity to learn. And as long as you've been challenged and developed and doing something different, then I always stuck out wherever I was until I felt it was the right time to move on. Nice. And what would you you know, people that are in a similar position at the moment, because, you know, there's a, a big conversation on a bigger platform at the moment around, you know, tax and how you entice people from a graduate scheme or kind of a, a school leaver scheme to, to enter something that is so relevant, not just from a corporation perspective, but kind of through all threads of society, right? All kind of step ladders. Tax has got sort of an undercurrent, not just in popular culture at the moment, but also through, you know, the more traditional sort of outlets as well. What, what would your one piece of advice be for somebody that's considering a career in tax at the moment? I'd said learn as much about the area that you want to work in as possible, because I find that, again, a lot of, not a lot of people know this about tax, but if you're doing a major tax project or transaction, whether it's a reorganization or M&A or whatever it might be, you need every type of advisor in the room. And it's not uncommon for a professional services person, for example, a tax advisor to, to actually organize all of that. You can't reach your tax decision until you've had your, your rent decision, your accounting decision, your legal decision, and then your tax decision. 
And often if you silo those specialists and each makes a decision in isolation, the piece will never fit. So you can only create the jigsaw once you have all the individual pieces and you've all taken everyone else's views into account. But I don't think you can do that unless you know as much as you can about the sector, your industry, the other areas that are non-tax, as well as tax itself. So I think it's it's reading as much into those other areas as possible and having as rounded a view as you can, which which comes with experience. But the earlier on in your career you can do that, I think the better you'll progress. So for someone that's looking to make a decision on what do I do next, I think it's, again, it comes down to it. If you're being challenged and you're doing a varied number of things and you're learning lots on the job, then you're probably in a good place to be and make sure that continues to be the case. I think that's great advice, guys. <laughs> for anyone looking to enter the industry, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. It's challenging yourself. It's getting yourself in those situations and I guess moving with, with the times and, and kind of getting involved with how tax fits into the bigger picture of things. Excellent. So that's a quite an interesting career path that we've taken. I'm looking specifically to uh, you know the world of tax as it's shaping. I mean, 2024 is uh, you know election year. Uh, we could have a new government by the end of it. And obviously public finances are a particular, uh, you know, they have a particular complexion as we speak. So, you know, you as the head of tax at a leading bank, I mean, from a wish list, what would you like to see? Great question. And um, from a starting perspective, I mean, we've always believed in doing the right thing pay the right tax at the right time. And I think it's, you know, even in the past when HMRC was looking at the taxation of banks and, you know, looking at potentially increasing the tax that banks pay, I think our view as an organisation was always, we're happy to pay more tax. Obviously, we need to remain competitive compared to UK and overseas equivalents. But nevertheless, we're, we're happy to pay the right amount of tax. I think for my wish list is very much around, you know, tax is complex and the obligations are, are enormous, both from a tax and a, and a behavioural and, and compliance perspective, as well as, you know, banks don't just pay tax anymore. They also sort of police and enforce them. I, I think it was gatekeepers of the tax system. Mm -hmm. There's so many other things you have to think about, like VAC and CRS and, and so on and so forth. So I think it's more, what I'd like to see is helping banks to get it right. So giving HMRC the resources they need to ensure that banks can pay the taxes that they need to pay. So for example, there's been lots of changes with R&D, for example, which haven't been very well received. There's been issues with VAT and you know, decision-making and trying to get VAT yeah. group decisions approved and PESM applications approved and things like that. So I think giving HMRC more resources to support banks would be would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, okay. The resourcing at HMRC is a, obviously a, you know, a matter that needs to be addressed. But I think sort of like, I mean, What's also interesting is the nature of the relationship between the taxpayer and HMRC. I think that's undergone quite a change as well. I think you alluded to that. It, it certainly has, and I think in many ways for the better. So I was at HMRC when they brought in the customer compliance model and, um, and set up customer compliance managers for, for major taxpayers, normally in large business, but they've now rolled that out to the mid-sized unit as well. And I think that was a, a very wise decision because it felt as though for the first time, 
there was somebody in HMAS leave that had the taxpayers back almost. It's like trying to really go to the extra length to understand things from the taxpayers' commercial perspective, mm -hmm. as opposed to purely from a, an assumption that everybody's at it, which is sometimes can be the case. Um, and we also saw initiatives such as you know the code of compliance on taxation for banks, senior accounting officer regime. And one favourite of mine was an initiative that was run by, I think it was Dave Hartnett, the old chairman, which was in the boardroom. And it was the idea that too many tax teams operate in isolation yeah. and the board are not always aware of what they're doing. So they actively went out to, to speak to CEOs and boards and explain to them, these are the issues that we're seeing amongst tax teams. And in fact, in some instances, they even gave examples of this is what your tax team is doing. Um, and often the boards were unaware of, of the problems that were there and, and how they could be impacted reputationally. And I think that that led to a sea changing behaviour and boards actually be more aware of reputational risk and how tax could impact that. Well, that's so. quite interesting because, I mean, I think certainly for the larger players, that has changed. But, you know, uh, for the smaller institutions or the mid-tier institutions, that's still not universally found. And, you know, sort of like in the area of funds, say, for example, fund boards, tax isn't always on the agenda and so almost something going wrong that it comes up to the board. So I think, you know, there's still a little bit, bit of way to go on that. Um, just turning to your own sort of like institution, because as you indicated, you were the first tax person uh, within Starling Bank. And the bank is quite unique. It's not like the traditional larger banks. I mean, does that throw a particular a different set of challenges in, in how to sort of like you know get mandate, how to operate? It certainly does, though. I mean, I, I think taking the first part of your question around being the first tax actor, it meant that, you know, I have a direct tax training. So upon joining the bank, I knew I'd have to cover VAT and payroll. And I had a, a six-month notice at GT before I joined. And I spent most of that time learning about VAT um, by doing you know, videos in the evenings and weekends and things like that and watching Holly's training and, and reading manuals and legislation and trying to get myself up as much up to speed as I possibly could so that I knew that upon joining it, I could cover all issues. Um, and I was lucky enough to be backed on recruitment, so before long I could bring in a specialist that I needed to. Um, but I did find that that on joining the bank, um, they were very receptive to, we've got a new tax person, and previously we completely relied on advisors for all of our tax support. Whereas going forward, we've now got someone that can provide views internally and share those with the board and explain tax issues from the business perspective, including you know, where the risks are, you know, what actually we should take to resolve them and things like that. Um, and I was extremely pleased that, you know, I felt this off from day one, you know, senior people in the bank and the board themselves were very receptive to hearing, this is an issue from a tax perspective, this is how it should be resolved. And I always felt as I was back to go and put in place what I need to put in place. Excellent, excellent. Um, and in terms of, I mean, this is the environmental uh, aspect, but within uh, Starling, I mean, you've rapidly grown your team since you first joined. And, uh, you know, in terms of the team dynamics and so on, I mean, how have you found that and, you know, starting a new team from fresh and growing it quickly? It's worked very well. And I think the Starling name has been really, really positive when it comes to recruitment. 
So we've actually found that, you know, while we have used recruitment advisors and consultants to support us on recruitment, actually most of our candidates are direct applicants that apply because of the name of the bank and, and the understanding that they have of the bank's you know, current and future growth trajectory. So from the perspective of finding candidates, we've certainly found that we probably often get more applicants that we, than we need, which is really helpful because then we can start to filter and choose between the ones that we think are the best fit. And then, you know, it's one thing saying we've got somebody with the right technical skill set, but we have to be very mindful of the culture of the bank mm-hmm. and that, you know, the culture is very much of a, it is a bank, yes, but it's also a fintech and the culture is very fast paced, it's agile, we're very collaborative, we don't have you know, cost centers and P&Ls, so we don't have natural barriers that get in the way of people working across teams. So we're we're very good at getting things done quickly and getting the right people together in the right way. So we need someone that can fit into that kind of that culture. And how have you organized the team? Because I think that's quite unique as well. Isn't it? So my, my team is currently three senior managers covering corporation tax, VAT and employment taxes. I say employment tax, I also include share schemes. And we've recently moved the entire payroll unit into tax as well, which is a little bit unusual compared to most of the banks where payroll often sits in HR. Mm. But certainly from my previous days at GT when we did tax audits, we did find that there were probably more payroll issues than any other tax issue in most organisations. And you know, having worked on payroll for the last year and a half, I've realised there are so many technical questions that often go unnoticed because sometimes the size of the issue isn't does not warrant yeah. as much attention as maybe some of the other taxes. But then those smaller issues can be replicated numerous times on X number of employees. So it can quickly go from a small issue to a very large issue. So we've actually found there's lots and lots of technical issues in payroll. So in my view, having payroll sitting in the tax is, is far more beneficial as a whole for the organisation than it happens. Mm. I, I find that you know, sort of like doing some senior accounting officer work where you have to look at across the organisation that, you know, direct taxes are usually outsourced with the VAT stuff internally. Payroll is, uh, or employment taxes, you know, ends up sitting within HR and there isn't that tax technical oversight and therefore ends up being the poorer cousin. And, you know, in, you know, invariably that's where a lot of the issues arise. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good organizational design you've got there. But couldn't agree more. And actually, that was part of the thinking when we came to assess how the payroll should be operated and run. And interesting, when we spoke to the payroll manager and his team and asked them, where do you think you should sit? Their response was, we, we think we fit in the tax team better than we fit in the HR team, so, or, or within the wider finance teams. So actually, they, they were fully on board with, with that move as well, so that helped a lot. So one of the things that uh, you, know, you uh, stated before when we were talking and you said, you have the best banking platform in the market. Um, you, you know, would you care to elaborate on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously, I'm not, I'm not a software engineer, so this is purely <laughs> my own view. And I'm sure it's supported by many others out there too, but um, I've been reliably told by my engineering team that, that we have a, you know, probably the best banking platform in the market. And recently, we've, you know, we've set up a subsidiary called Engine by Starling. And Engine's purpose is to sell the software that we've created us to sell the banking platform. So while up up to now we've very much grown the business through the banking operations and you know current accounts and, and savings products and loan products and so on and so forth. Um, going forward, we're looking to sell our banking platform 
um, to other banks around the world, typically not the UK, but elsewhere in the world. And in November 23, we announced our first two contracts with banks, a listed bank in Australia and another bank in Romania, which is which is great news for the business because it means we've, we've now got you know, firstly markets to sell our software into. But secondly, I think going forward, what we'll see is that everyone sees us as a banking group at the moment. It wouldn't surprise me at all if in a few years from now, they see us as a software group that owns a bank because the, the growth potential for the software sales is absolutely enormous. I think this, uh, you know, the whole uh, technology developments that are taking shape, uh, you know, you really are at the cusp of this. And uh, I mean, in some ways, it also makes it very exciting from a tax team perspective because, you know, things that you will see and do, you know, no one has done before. I remember my days at Barclays when we first launched the first ETF in the marketplace. You know, there were no rules for it. And you have to go and negotiate with HMRC so or whatever the tax authority is on that. So very exciting times uh, at Sali. It's 30 years and, and the, the growth of engine has led to all, all manner of tax projects at the moment. So we're looking at, you know, as well as looking at tax issues in Australia and Romania, we're also looking at location planning across several countries around the world. Um, it comes with things like setting up overseas payrolls, transfer pricing issues, where does the IP sit and how do you value the IP? Um, and you know, overseas and UK VAT concerns and so on and so forth. I mean, there's, there's lots of stuff I haven't mentioned. I mean, one of the things, and this arbitrage between technology platforms and banking platforms is an interesting one because generally it's felt that the banking industry has... Uh, you know, obviously sort of like, you know, windfall taxes in the past. It's been an uh, easy option for chancellors to go and tap into. And uh, the likes of UK Finance have done lots of studies and, you know, how much the banking sector contributes. But, you know, looking at it more internationally, do you think the UK is overall the tax burden is high? If I'm honest with you, I don't, I don't know. I think it. I think it's a fair tax burden that's paid in the UK mm-hmm. on banks. Um, I mean, it, it, when people talk about the tax burden that's on banks, they often focus on corporation tax, but I think it's much wider than that. I think we have to look at taxes across all sectors. And certainly, one of the projects that I carried out recently was to look at payroll taxes. And if you look at payroll taxes on individuals, actually, the UK has some of the lowest taxation when you take into account things like social security, for example. So uh, there's some really interesting work that's been done by UK finance on the total tax contribution of banks mm-hmm. in the UK and how banks probably contribute more to the economy than the other sector. So it shows that, you know, banks are obviously a, a very large contributor of taxes and rightly so. Um, but I wouldn't say it's unfair or uncompetitive compared to international AGs, but I must admit, we're still at an early stage in our international location planning and, and we're, Certainly, Starling as a, as a bank is very careful and protective of its reputation. So, if we did see a regime that's overseas that has a low tax rate, that doesn't necessarily mean that's attractive to us. What's more attractive is how is the location from a commercial and business perspective, and is the right clientele there for us to think about certain tax objectives. So, it's more about where are the overseas banks located as opposed to which tax regimes are more favourable for us to enter into or separate us from us. Excellent. Thank you very much, Radhi. Um, so before we move ahead to our favourite uh, rapid-fire round, 
I just want to recap what we have covered. We talked a little bit about your career transitions. Uh, we moved into talking about some of the environmental uh, tax context within which you operate, uh, both within the organization, within the wider economy. And then we talked a little bit about your team organization and the architecture. So with that, uh, Hector, I will pass across to you to subject uh, this young man our rapid fire round. Dun, 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 dun. Hardy, are you ready? Tell me, are you trembling with fear? I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be okay. <laughs> have you heard the rapid fire round before? Have you heard any of the previous ones? I have. I've listened to several of the previous episodes. So, yeah. can you, so you, know you, you know what you're in for. <laughs> I always do wonder, do people rehearse before they come on just in case they <laughs> throw in a bit of a curveball question? Hardy, what do, what do we think? Have we had any rehearsal time? I don't think you can because you ask such varied questions that if I rehearse, I doubt I'll be able to predict what you're going to ask. <laughs> I'm glad the question asking skills are notorious enough for <laughs> you to know that. Well, look, without further ado, if you are ready, Hardy, let's kick off. Beach holiday or mountain retreat? Beach holiday. Trump or Boris? Uh, Trump. City life or countryside living? Oh, city life. Barbie or Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Rolex or Forex? Rolex. Tube strikes or HMRC strikes? <laughs> um, good question. HMRC strikes. <laughs> Morning person or night owl? Oh, definitely night owl. Kim Kardashian or Paris Hilton? Oh, that's it. I don't even know. <laughs> I'll go for um, Paris Hilton. Classical music or hip hop? Hip hop. Chai latte or chai wala? Uh, chai wala. Summer <laughs> or winter? <laughs> Summer. Mother India or Shole? Shout out to our Punjabi listeners. <laughs> oh, Shole. Amazing book. Me too. <laughs> North or south of England? That's tough. I grew up in the north, I live in the south. Um, oh, you're uh, going to make someone unhappy here. <laughs> I'm going to make someone unhappy. Um, I go from the south of England. Nice. Would you rather have feet for hands or hands for feet? I have. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, hands for feet. We'll give you an easy one. iPhone or Android? <laughs> yeah, Android. And lastly, would you rather be too hot or too cold? Uh, too cold. There you go. You survived it, Hardy. Yay! <laughs> I saw a little bit of sweat glistening away during the Paris Hilton or Kim Kardashian question, but we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking part in the um, in the rapid fire round for us. How how did it all feel? You've you've made it through. <laughs> no, I'm delighted. Again, like I said, it's that privilege to be invited. I look forward to to hearing the recording. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, before you go, um. One of the things is, I mean, I obviously got to know you quite a bit, but, uh, you know, what do you do for recreations? I'm sure our listeners would want to know. Uh, so I'm I, a key footballer, so I play football a couple of times a week, uh, although that's getting tougher and tougher as I'm getting older, but I do try. Do you support a team? I support Leeds United. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything. 
I think we answered the north or south of England question with that answer. To be yes, we certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. It, it mainly, my time is normally taken up by spending time with the kids. So I'm, I'm currently taking my oldest through a catalogue of films that I liked when I was younger and growing up, many of which he's far too young for. Top three films? Oh, I don't know. Top three films. So, but the, the problem is he's. Um, He's only 13, so I can't show him all the films I want to show him. But uh, we recently watched things like the John Wick series, Gladiator, and things like that. So I'm trying to find stuff that he's really going to like that I quite like as well. Nice. Yeah. And what is your favourite film of all time? Do you have a personal favourite that you look forward to showing your your son when he's (laughs) of the right age? I really like the the Batman films that were done a few years back by Christopher Nolan. Mm -hmm. I've I've already made him sit through all of them. So, uh, so I, I was a big fan of those. Uh, and more recently, I watched um, Oppenheimer a okay. few days ago, which was absolutely phenomenal. Killian Murphy film. is just phenomenal in it, right? He was. So, Hector, which is your favorite movie? I have a few, but I am a massive Tarantino fan. So I absolutely love Quentin Tarantino. I had the pleasure of actually seeing him very recently in um, in conversation at the, the London Apollo. And it just made me remember how much I love the film. I don't know if you guys have seen it. True Romance. Um, have you ever seen that before? Or? It's a great film. Yes. Oh, I haven't seen it. Christian Slater, isn't it? It is, yeah. It is absolutely amazing. Um, it is one for your watch list, Ali. It's a complete whirlwind of a film. It's literally 100 miles an hour the whole way through. Uh, but it's Tarantino at his finest. So definitely, definitely recommend it. Well, that's a tip. Excellent. Yeah, there you go, listeners. That's a tip to take away for 2024. Get True Romance on your watch list if you if you haven't seen it already. Ali, before you uh, before we depart, I think we should ask Hardy. Hardy, one thing you want to leave our listeners with? One piece of information or an insight or a quote that you would like to sign off with? Um, there is a quote that I came across recently, and, and it comes to mind because I say it to my son about five times a day, which is um, how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm. And nice. I think it's, it's quite a famous quote, but I, I think it, it applies in all sorts of circumstances, both personal and, and in work as well. And, and I also think it's very true. I think how you do the little things govern how you do the big things. What a lovely sentiment to leave our listeners with. Good good motivational goals for 2024, I think. Everyone should have this on their list. <laughs> well, listeners, thank you for listening to The Tax Files. It's been a pleasure having you join us. Please subscribe and get in contact if you wish to discuss any of these topics with us and our team, or if you have any questions at all. We will catch you here again at the same time next month with the most esteemed guest. To stay up to date with announcements, updates, and guest reveals, please follow Hansuki on LinkedIn. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much to our guest today, Hardy. Really appreciate it.